This week on the Vergecast, a new Verge laptop reviewer, Monica Chin, joins us to talk about a bunch of laptops, including the Asus Zephyrus G14, Samsung Galaxy Chromebook, the Asus Chromebook Flip, the new one. Julia Alexander joins us to talk about Quibi. That launched this week. And we get into a bunch of stuff, including the new PlayStation 5 controller. That's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of, of the Vox Media Stay at Home Network. Mm-hmm. See? It's like a change in reorienting the company a little bit. Hopefully Bankoff hears this. Jim, if you're listening, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I am Neil, I am your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your friend too. Paul Miller is here. Hello. I would also like to apply for friendship status. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, the website is, is down, Paul. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It runs COBOL. Uh, we have a special guest. Monica Chin is here. Hello, Monica. Hi. Uh, Monica is our new laptop reviewer, uh, a hallowed position at The Verge. How long has it been? You've been with it a, f- a few months now, yeah? Uh, a couple months, yeah. It started in uh, late January. All right. And it's been totally normal ever since. Absolutely. <laughs> Super normal new job. Uh, we, a bunch of laptop stuff to talk about. A little later on, Julia Alexander is going to join us. We got to talk about that Quibi launch. It happened. Yeah. It happened this week, uh, so that'll be fun a little bit later. I want to start, as always, just a quick run-through of what is happening uh, with the coronavirus. There's a lot of coverage. I've heard from quite a few people that they appreciate that our show is not 100% focused on the virus. It's a balance. We're, we're, we're trying to get it right. Keep giving me notes. I, I, I do appreciate it. Uh, but I do want to start. With just some updates. So first of all, I'm just going to do it because, I mean, they announced it on a Friday and the show comes out on Friday. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm good at counting, you guys. It has been four weeks. By the time you listen to this, it will have been four weeks since Donald Trump had the flow chart that said website, symptom checker, drive through. You know what I'm talking about. And then Google was going to, well, it was approximately 170,000 Google engineers uh, were going to build them a website that let you schedule a test, drive through a test and get results. That website, four weeks, has, uh, has not shown up yet. That's correct. However, Verily, the, uh, the sister company to Google underneath parent company Alphabet, has expanded to another testing site in the Bay Area. And I believe I read that they said that they had done as many as 6,000 tests, which is... That's good. I don't know, 5,600 more than I thought they had. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's a lot. No. It's actually like more impressive than I expected. The goal is more tests. If Fairly can can roll that out even farther, we will do nothing but applaud them. I'm just the idea was that everybody would be able to just like use this website, and that is definitely not true. Speaking of, of counting, you can also now count the number of days since uh, Governor New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said that uh, Google is going to make him a website for New York State. So I was going to ask how many days because you're so good at counting. It's been since he uh, held up the. A printout of Google tweets and then and then Mike dropped it because that's <laughs> that's my holiday. <laughs> that's the one that you're getting from. I think that was mo- the following Monday. Yeah, yeah. There was no promise associated with that. Days since Donald Trump holds printout of tweets is a good. <laughs> it, I mean, I I applaud the timeline if someone wants to keep it. I'm more of a the the, the lost promises. So there's, there's that. There's some crazy second order things happening. Uh, Chris Welch had a story about webcams. Uh, just being impossible to find because everyone's working from home. Like a basic Logitech webcam that normally sells for 50 bucks is like $200, uh, like the C920. The higher end ones, like the Brio, which is their 4K webcam, 500 bucks. Oh my uh, God. Online. Uh, there are some in stores. The problem is that the stores are closed. So Best Buy will like happily tell you they have them in stock in your local store, but only certain Best Buy locations have the curbside pickup that you need. So... Those stocks are down. We actually got a statement from Logitech. They are not happy about the price gouging that's happening. So where they can, where they have the ability, they are actually trying to get some of those listings taken down. Um, but if you just like bought a bunch of webcams and are reselling them, Logitech can't, can't, can't do anything to you. So that's a that's a weird second order. No one expected it. Um, a bunch of other stuff like Elgato Streamlink boxes. People are using like they're like all sold out everywhere. That's a weird second order one. Uh, Addy wrote a great piece about uh, chloroquine and sort of the misinformation ecosystem about that. Just check that out. We're trying to write some servicey things so people have can share reliable information. So that's a good one to share. Um, there's the insane 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory out there. I, I, I don't know what to say about it, but uh, Tom Warren wrote a great debunk of that. People in England are lighting 5G towers on fire. And so like the government and English wireless companies are having to beg people to not light cell phone towers on fire because they're... This is Britain, so they're politely asking. <laughs> well, they use bold in the press yeah. release. Ooh, are the wow. fires polite fires? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, that is nuts. Uh, John Cusack tweeted that 5G would be the root cause of it. And then like everyone dunked on him and he had to delete a tweet. Like... It is a more pervasive conspiracy theory than you would ever expect. Um, so Tom Warren wrote a debunk of that. I encourage you to go find it and share it widely uh, and get some good information on the world. And then this is just my favorite one, Ashley Carmen. Uh, the Unicode Consortium has paused emoji development for this year because of the virus. And they're like, they're like, look, everyone's really distracted. We don't, we don't need to do this. Do they do in-person meetups to like make the final decision? Yeah. It's a completely remote process. You like send, like, I think The Verge did a piece on how I got an emoji into the yeah. emojis. Jay wrote it. And there, there is a meeting that like you, you go and you present or like you send in your thing. And then there's a meeting where they like go through the presentations. Can I just read you this quote? It's just from Mark Davis, president of the Unicode Consortium. And I actually appreciate this quote. It's just a, I'm just going to read it to you. And it's amazing. Under the current circumstances, we've heard that our contributors have a lot on their plates at the moment. <laughs> and we decided it was in the best interest of our volunteers and the organizations that depend on the standard to push out our release date. People are busy. There's a lot of anxiety in the world. You don't need a, you don't need, but the ones that were already announced, like the olive, the beaver and the plunger, they're still coming. It's oh, good. It's the new ones that aren't coming. The controversial ones. The controversial ones. Yeah. Emoji drama is going to have to wait for a year. Speaking of counting, 
here's the thing I've been counting the most. On Sunday, April 12th, it will have been one year since Foxconn told us that their empty buildings were not empty and that they would send us a correction. Yeah. One year. They've gone one year without sending us that correction. Um, but so we'll, we'll, we'll do something about that. You were listening to us on Friday. Yeah, yeah, I assure you the Verge will have a post on Sunday to mark this glorious, extremely disappointing anniversary. Um, you know, the buildings are probably empty right now. Uh, Foxconn actually still under construction in Wisconsin. They uh, deemed themselves essential. To make what? No one knows. But they didn't announce. The CEO of another company, Medtronic, announced that they would be building ventilators at the Foxconn factory in Wisconsin. Foxconn, when reached for comment, declined to comment. <laughs> so hopefully this factory, which I would remind you is supposed to be making LCDs, uh, will be making ventilators. Medtronic, uh, this is a cool, they've, they open sourced their ventilator design. I'm so stoked on this. Yeah, Medtronic's a really a serious company. Yeah, Medtronic is a, the real deal. It, it's, you know, their CEO says, we're going to make them at this factory in Wisconsin. People believe him. He's not screwing around. Uh, and they open sourced that ventilator design, so that's really cool. Foxconn has just not committed to doing it. Like, you'd think they would just, that, that's like the easiest one in the world, right? Wait, are you saying Foxconn won't do this, or it hasn't agreed that this is the case? Medtronic CEO went on CNBC, and he said, we're going to be making ventilators at the Foxconn factory in Wisconsin. Okay. Reuters, CNBC reached out to Foxconn. Foxconn didn't comment. And I'm saying, like, usually, like, when someone hands you the ball and then picks you up and holds you over the basket, you're like, you just put the ball through the, you know, it's like, it's just like an instinct that companies have. And they just didn't do it. So we'll see. They say four to six weeks. Again, that is not what the factory is for, though, right? The factory is theoretically for LCDs. And it's supposed to open in May. So we're going to, there's there's a lot coming on the Fox Hunt story. But if they do make some ventilators there, I think that's a good thing. It's just... You would think the factory that's supposed to start spitting out LCDs in May was kind of like ready to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it seems seems unlikely that you can like the car companies that are making ventilators. Sean O'Kane is actually going to have a big story on this. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, Sean O'Kane will have a story about why like the state of the art in ventilator tech and why specifically car companies are are shifting to ventilator production. It's because they already make HVAC systems, they have a lot of motors, they have huge supply chains, all this stuff. So they can kind of like quickly put one together. There's a really, um, I don't, do you see the Tesla video where Tesla engineers are talking about how they designed a ventilator using mostly Tesla parts? Like that stuff is cool. Hmm. You don't normally think because, because it's all mechanical. It's, I mean, it's basically just a big pump, right? TVs are not big pumps. This is as far as I know. <laughs> if you can think of a TV, that's a big pump. You, you just hit me up. But, uh, I mean, they're, the they're, they're pushing out pixels and, you know, light and matter are technically according to the theory it of relativity. It looks like there's a screen related. on the Medtronic and you got to build like a, like a shell for it. Yeah, sure. Two things you could build. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, Sunday is one year since they told us the buildings were empty. Uh, and then we'll see if this thing, so that's the Fox update. Okay. That is all the more virus news that I got. Just, I want to make sure we keep calling out our coverage, particularly the Verge Science team, which is just cranking away. And then these second order effects that are happening throughout the, the whole world, quite frankly. Um, so I don't want to shortchange it, but I, I, I have heard from quite a few people that everybody needs a break. So we're going to try to get the balance right. Give me that feedback. All right. Dieter, Monica, Paul, let's talk about some laptops. Yeah. The Asus ROG parentheses Republic of Gamers, Zephyrus G14 has this hot shit new AMD chip, which we have talked about before. And Eli interviewed CEO last week, Monica. 
Tell us about this laptop. Yeah, so this laptop uh, was really, really impressive. It's pretty light. It's a lot lighter than most gaming laptops, especially, you know, traditionally gaming laptops have been like five and six pound things. Um, this this just weighs just over three and a half pounds. And um, for such a light machine, it really can fly. I was able to play Red Dead Redemption 2 on Ultra, which is just about the like most demanding game you can play. And it was able to do it. Like it wasn't amazing. It was a like, you know, a console-ish like experience, but it, you know, you could play it on those settings. But if you play it on high settings, which is just below ultra, it absolutely was a great experience. It was around 50, 50 FPS. Like it was really, really, it, it performs very impressively. And I mean, that's not necessarily surprising. It also has a very powerful graphics card, but it's really, it was really impressive to see just the load that it could take on. So put this put this chip in context because uh, this is like this is not the sort of chip that I should expect to like be in the next MacBook Air, right? Or be in the next like Dell XPS. This is like specifically designed for like high intense high end gaming, like really serious sort of sort of processor work. Yeah. So the the 4900HS um it's a, it's an 8 core chip. It's comparable to Intel's Core i9. Um, so, you know, most laptop, most like Dell XPSs that you're buying are going to have an i5 or an i7. That's what most people are choosing between. When you get into the i9 and 4900HS territory, that's where stuff starts to get pretty, like, like more expensive, more sort of power user oriented. Um, and the HS, the S at the end uh, indicates like special. It means that it's, you know, the, the 4900H is like the top of the line. The 4900HS is designated more for thinner laptops that can still deliver on gaming, they call it desktop class gaming. So that, yeah, that that's that's the intent of that chip. A, a lot of the comparisons I saw was this chip at 35 watts versus Intel at 45 watts. So it's like more, it's kind of sim- comparable power, comparable performance with less power draw. Yeah, yeah, that that that's definitely what they're that's what they're going for. Um, but it's not as it's obviously not as low powered as the U series, which is that sort of the main like comparable to to that that that's what you're gonna find in ultra portable laptops is the U series. This is the H series, which is for slightly bigger machines that are slightly more powerful. Oh, and so <laughs> my big question is the the battery life because I feel like AMD was able to make laptop processors in the three thousand series that were cheap and ran okay, <laughs> and <laughs> this is very fast. And a little more expensive. So what's the, like the, the battery life is, is that, is it a win? Yeah. Oh, the battery life is definitely a win. That's sort of another thing. Like the last Zephyrus we reviewed back in 2017 had like two hours of battery life. Like it was almost comical how not, how irrelevant the battery was. Uh, I got out eight hours and 50 minutes of browsing, um, you know, not, not gaming, but you know, on a, on a balanced battery profile. So not even in battery saver mode, it easily made it through a whole work day. And it only took 41 minutes to charge up to 60% on Asus's plug, which is like, that's not terrible. Um, and even gaming on battery, I got about an hour and a half on a charge. It's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty big accomplishment um, for, such a power, for such powerful hardware uh, to last that long. Put this thing in context, like this means a lot to gaming laptops. And I'm assuming it's like thinking about gaming laptops, this is not going to be a one-off. This is actually like going to be a new thing that conti- like the Intel and AMD continue to fight over. Does this affect anything that's going on with laptop processors outside of that specific domain? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely hope so. I think that, you know, even though this is a machine intended to be for, you know, intended to be for gaming, it's certainly something that works really well as a productivity machine as well. 
Um, you know, it handled the multitasking just fine. Obviously, you know, the 16 by nine aspect ratio isn't like the one that I, that I'm certainly a fan of for productivity, but I certainly would, you know, I would be totally happy having this as my primary device, you know, work device as well. And I think that's sort of, that's one of the things that is really impressive about this chip is it, you know, it's able to provide the battery life necessary that, that most people are looking for in a primary device while also really like enable it to run games. And so I feel like I could just have this and I wouldn't need a secondary productivity device if I wanted to use this to play games. I, I would hope that even laptops outside of the gaming space, um, I think Intel's really been put on notice here. I think not just with gaming laptops, but with, you know, I think this really shows that laptops can be really powerful gaming laptops and really good productivity devices um, where, where the battery life and where the power consumption and the design and the weight is concerned. Um, so I hope that Intel is, you know, is making moves to do that and is moving in that direction too. So Monica, I mean, that like sets us right up for like the other part of the conversation here, which is AMD has been charging hard. They're doing well. This is a, a solid machine with a, a powerful chip in it. That's next to all of the 10th gen stuff we're seeing Intel put out, which seems a lot iffier than I expected. Is that kind of your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, you know, definitely compared to the prices that we've seen for Intel stuff so far, and the you know the, the battery life and all those things that we've seen for Intel so far, I would say, you know, for for comparable gaming machines, the the Zephyrus G14 has really rewritten the rules. Um, when I first saw the price, uh, fourteen forty nine, I was like, I, I literally emailed the PR guy and asked if that was the right price. <laughs> that seemed so low to me for the specs that this thing has and the performance it was putting out. Uh, I re I really think they've raised the bar a, like a ton, and in terms of what uh, what Intel machines should be able to do at that price point. I mean, that's that's like unprecedented in terms of what I've seen. So, okay, if we're talking 10th gen Intel, we actually, maybe it would be useful to like do Intel chips 101 because like when it used to be like you, if you knew the difference between Y series and U series and Intel, you were good. And then like you kind of needed to know about the gen. And, but now when I hear Intel 10th gen, like I literally don't know what it means. Like it, it could, it could literally mean anything. <laughs> it, it's confusing as hell. So like there's, there's this new XPS you reviewed, you reviewed a couple of Chromebooks. Everything is like running Intel 10th gen, but it seems like like none of this stuff is actually equivalent. So like, can you like just give me this dummies version of what's going on with Intel 10th gen right now? Yeah. So in terms of the, the current XPS that I'm reviewing has the i7-1065G7, and that is okay. part of the Ice Lake generation. Okay. That is a quad, this one is a quad core processor. The XPS 13 that we reviewed the end of last year has an i7-1070U. That is a, and that's of the Comet Lake generation. And so that one is a six core, that is a six core processor. So I, get, I think that's sort of the main, the big distinction that I'm, uh, you know, that, that our reviews have sort of been looking at. Um, so, you know, something with two extra cores is going to be a better fit for productivity oriented tasks, stuff like crunching numbers, elaborate things in Excel. Um, but we found in, you know, or Dan found in his review um, of the the one at the end of last year, which has six cores, that it's at, that it was worse at things like photo and video editing because the update with the Ice Lake processor is that it actually has better graphics, better integrated graphics, and so one of the things that the XPS thirteen uh, that has come out with the Ice Lake chip is that that is supposed to be a much better one for gaming uh, on integrated graphics. So you're you're currently reviewing the XPS thirteen. I don't want to spoil your review. I think it probably be out after people listen to this, but. What is your early impression? 
Yeah, I think it, I mean, my early impression is that it's very good. I mean, the XPS 13, you know, for the past several years has been really the, uh, the Windows laptop to beat. Just, you know, I think that if you took a lot of, a lot of the features that it has, like if you took the keyboard, if you took the touchpad, if you took the design, if you took the performance and you just put that by itself in like another laptop, it would be the standout feature. It, it, it's a really cool experience to just have all these features be like absolutely the best, basically. I think that over the past couple of years, the XPS 13, it's it, the progression has really been one of refinement. It's been Dell sort of seeing like, what are, what is like the one or two things here that people really don't like and changing that. So, you know, for a while it was the nose cam and for a while it was the bottom bezel. Um, I think they're really at a point where they've fixed a lot of the things that we didn't like. <laughs> I think it's probably still the laptop to beat. Okay. That nose cam thing is really funny because there's an argument in my Twitter replies today about webcams. And like, there's just a bunch of older XPS 13 owners being like, I didn't think it would go this bad for me. <laughs> I, was, I was on a Zoom call with a guy with a, with a, a nose cam. It was just hilarious. That was always the reason I didn't want to buy it was the nose cam. I mean, that was literally like, it seemed like the one kink in the armor. If you don't remember, for the people listening, if you don't remember the... Two, it was like two years ago, Monica, that the XPS 13, the camera was like in the in the bottom of the screen in the corner. And so it just like shot up your nose. And I would also say the other big thing is the design is has has changed a lot. There's a um, the screen is taller. So the 16 by nine expert aspect ratio is gone. And uh, I hate the 16 by nine aspect ratio. <laughs> the eliminated bottom, you know, the bottom bezel used to have the big Dell logo in case you forgot that Dell made your computer. So the, and I think, it, you know, it really looks different. And I'm really excited for everyone to see see how it's changed. OK, so we got to get to NVIDIA stuff. But before we get there, I uh, just like I need to express my 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 deep, heartfelt, emotional sadness about the two Chromebooks you just reviewed. So like 10th <laughs> gen in the XPS sounds good. 10th gen in the Samsung Chromebook and the Asus Chromebook Flip, it sounds like not, 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 not so good. What, what the hell happened with these Chromebooks? Yeah. I mean, I think the issue with these Chromebooks is just that they're, they're, they cost too much, you know, and there's, yeah. there's, a, there are lots of debates about, do, you know, does anyone actually want a $1,000 Chromebook? Why would you pay $1,000 for a Chromebook? And I mean, there's definitely a market out there. You know, there are people, there are power users of Google. There are people who really like a Chrome OS ecosystem. It's their preferred operating system. And they really want a really, really nice computer. I've been talking to a lot of these people who have been so frustrated that they feel like their best options are like either you get the pixel book or you just have like what what looks like junk. Um, so a lot of people <laughs> have really been waiting for, you know, something that's comparable to an ultra book that has Chrome OS. And a lot of them hoped it would be the Galaxy Chromebook um, or it would be the, the new Asus Chromebook Flip C436. Um, and, you know, the Galaxy Chromebook looks so nice. Um, it's really well designed. And um, there's a lot of cool things about the design. There's like a stylus, there's like a camera in the keyboard deck and uh, the screen, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 4k uh, AMOLED screen. It looks absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's a lot of fun to use and it's super light, uh, but it's just a battery life of four hours is really not useful for most people. <laughs> you buy a laptop cause you want to be able to carry it around. You don't want to have it just like sitting plugged in all the time, sitting at your desk, especially when it's so light. Well, and it also gets wicked hot, which is incredible. And it has no fans. So that's not necessarily surprising, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I think it, it's, you know, if it's, if it were a $500 device, maybe we'd be more forgiving of a battery life 
uh, that that's bad, but one thousand uh, dollars, you know, that's when we're getting into like that's that's MacBook Air pricing. You know, <laughs> that's when you really need you really are looking for something that is pretty good all around. And unfortunately, the Flip C four three six sort of fell to a similar issue. Um, you know, the battery life wasn't quite as bad. I got about five hours out of that, but it's an eight hundred dollar Chromebook. And you really need one eight hundred dollar Chromebook to be like significantly better than Chromebooks that are five hundred fifty to six hundred fifty dollars. And I just think you know we have the Pixel Book right now. We have the Flip C four three four. We have Windows machines that are, are you know in that price range or a little bit higher as well that uh, just don't have the same battery life issue. Have similarly good performance and uh, much much better battery life. So I think at this point it's just you know, we need to, we need to make these machines better or we need to get the costs down. I have a conspiracy theory. I, I, well, I have a, a correlation, not a conspiracy theory. Mm. I have an unfounded correlation. You just reviewed two machines, 10th gen processors, the galaxy Chromebook. I think you got four in hours and change the Chromebook flip. You got five hours. I just reviewed a MacBook air with a 10th gen processor. When I ran Chrome, I got about five hours of battery life. There's a commonality here which is Google Chrome, which <laughs> it just destroys battery life. Like if you make your entire operating system Chrome, you can't be like the battery's going to do great. So one thing is that with the with the Chromebook Flip C436 as well as with the the Galaxy Chromebook is other reviewers who did battery tests where they just looped 1080p video got way better battery. So I actually do think it's probably an issue with the with with web page optimization or with app optimization. My the, the problem I have is no one is buying a Chromebook just to loop 1080p video. <laughs> <laughs> there is this aspect. It seems like Intel's integrated graphics are getting better faster than their shipping processors are. But but I don't know, dude. Uh, like. Is it just Chrome? See, Chrome actually does okay when it's um, like we're just running on Linux. Like the, there are Chromebooks with good battery life; they exist. The Pixelbook Go is actually a really good example of a Chromebook with like pretty good battery life. When it came out, I was like, "Man, this seems fine," but the other Chromebooks are cheaper and better. It's so like the the uh, the uh, Asus four C four thirty four, which is still around, like is just a better all around computer. But now that I'm seeing this new you know, Galaxy Chromebook, which is like literally the successor to the Pixelbook, that Google pretty much told me so. It's trash. This 436 is a bummer. Like, I'm actually less worried about Chrome OS in terms of Chrome killing battery than I am about the fact that um, Android apps are still trash on Chrome OS. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that. We can't do this. We, we cannot do this. But Monica had so many problems. I have another conspiracy theory, and this is more germane. Okay, when the, the, the Galaxy... Book S or whatever, whatever it's called, <laughs> was announced. It was announced with a, a Lakefield processor. And it, now it's shipping with a, a Comet Lake. Like Lakefield is like, like these, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm crazy, but these seem like laptops that maybe were designed like they were going to get a mobile-esque processor from Intel, like a next-gen Qualcomm killer. And then instead they got like Comet Lake 14 nanometer plus 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 processors. Yeah, that's not unreasonable. See more conspiracy theories. All right, Monica, what's next? Uh, obviously, your XPS review is coming. What's next in the world of laptops for people? Looking? It, it seems like this is a big inflection point, right? You got two new classes of chips out. You got many more, obviously, a flood of new products. What are the next big releases people should be looking for? Yeah, so we had uh, the big announcements um, earlier this month were Comet Lake H coming from Intel and NVIDIA's uh, new RTX Super GPUs. Um, and so, you know, alongside those two announcements, we got just a 
barrage of um, of new new laptops that were being that various manufacturers are announcing um, that are going to incorporate the two chips. Um, the most exciting one to me is the the twenty twenty Razer Blade fifteen. Um, that's going to pair the RTX twenty seventy Super Max Q uh, or the twenty eighty Super Max Q um, with a with a tenth Gen i seven. So and it's actually going to be the first eight core processor to ever appear in a Razer Blade. Um, so very excited about that. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting to compare to um to to the to the ROG's Zephyrus G14 um that's I think the first time where we're really going to see how these and, and you know that's going to be an i7 not an i9 but I think it'll still be interesting to see how these how these systems compare and uh, how well handles the games um because it's only it's 15.99 so it's only a little bit more expensive yeah. Acer's Triton 500 it's another big one uh getting the super cards a couple other big ones from Gigabyte, the Gigabyte Aorus 15G and 17G. Um, and then one that I think is really funny is uh, the Asus ROG Zephyrus Duo 15, which is a gaming laptop that has two screens. So there's one like in the keyboard and then there's like the main screen and the one in the keyboard like tilts up. I think it's at 13 degrees. So you can have sort of these two screens running at once. So for example, you could be like playing your game and then you could have your discord chat open on the second screen. You know, we'll see if it actually is practical or useful when we get the device in. Is it funny or is it genius? (laughs) (laughs) Paul's the founding member of the keyboard in the the front club, Monica, if you were to wear. So Monica's new. (laughs) The, The thing that stands out to me with this NVIDIA launch and I think it's important context with the AMD is that AMD is not getting all these fancy new NVIDIA cards. Intel and NVIDIA co-announced all these laptops. There's like, you can get a $1,000 laptop with an RTX 2060, which might be comparable or even, I don't even, possibly even better um, than the AMD laptop when it comes to just gaming, anything that's like GPU bottlenecked. The really interesting thing is uh, NVIDIA is doing this, like that power shifting thing that AMD was talking about. If the GPU senses that the CPU is the bottleneck, it will reduce its power consumption so that the the, uh, CPU has more room to work to catch back up in a sense. Which and and there's Nvidia is claiming like maybe ten to twenty percent performance gains from that. So even though these are like kind of minor tweaks to the cards, the the way that they actually work might actually result in some decent gaming results, which is going to be great news for Intel because they're not helping <laughs> make these H series laptops that much faster. Yeah. Also, I, I want to we last on our list in terms of form factor stuff, Monica. You brought up the, the dual screen stuff that's happening. Uh, Microsoft has reportedly delayed the Surface Neo, which I was very excited about, which was their dual screen, which means I don't know what that means for Windows 10X, which was supposed to run all the dual screen stuff, but we will see. Pandemic. It's just happened. It's all, all my form factor dreams are going away. Okay. Monica, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have you back very soon. It sounds like there's many, many more laptops for you to review and talk about. Absolutely. Uh, that was great. Good talking to you. All right. We're going to take a break. Thanks to Monica. We're going to come back with Julia Alexander. Talk about that Quibi. Support for the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Julia Alexander, welcome. Hello. I've been so excited for this day to talk to you about Quibi. It launched. It happened. Yeah. I mean, it's successful in that regard. (laughs) It's not not vaporware. (laughs) Well, you know, we've talked about it in uh, conceptually for what appears to be five years. We sat through a a CES demo of, of nothing. We have done all kinds of coverage. I encourage everybody to read Liz Lapata's profile of Meg Whitman. Liz had the uh, great idea to not focus on Katzenberg, but Whitman, who is actually the CEO of the company and had to literally change all of their plans and modeling around the virus. It's like just a fascinating story. I mean, the one question that I, Liz and I were both like, can we ask this directly? It was like, you were the CEO of HP. You were, you're a billionaire because you're the CEO of, of eBay. You like, were the Republican nominee be the governor of California. Mm-hmm. What, why are you running Quibi? <laughs> like, we just like, we were like, it's pretty rude to ask. <laughs> like, but it's, it's launched. After all of that, after all this conversation, it's here. What do you think, Julia? It's an app uh, in that it opens <laughs> when, I, when I want it to open and, and it plays <laughs> videos. I mean, Quibi, uh, I mean, Quibi is exactly what they said Quibi would be. It's short shows and movies and chapters and it turns like there's the function that when you turn your phone what you're seeing the format or the aspect ratio or whatever changes that there's nothing else i think to say positively about anything on that app uh but it works the way we wanted it to so congrats (laughs) have you had an exciting a portrait to landscape or vice versa moment i genuinely don't use it unless i remind myself that it's a function that i should use like when writing about it so that way I can be like I've used this and it's Mm. here's what it is but everyone I keep talking to both in media and outside of media because Quibi is like a very media thing people in media love Quibi and everyone outside of it is like what is Quibi that like that is the world that I experience so the random people that I've gotten to download the app because I'm like please you're not in media and I just want to talk to someone who's not in media about it um they haven't used it either they're like oh I don't turn my phone because no one turns their phone when they're watching anything (laughs) it's not what humans do (laughs) the the turnstile thing really stresses me out and i did not expect this but if i'm watching it in portrait i'm like oh i wonder what i would see if i turned it in landscape i'm missing something so then i turn it to landscape and i'm like but maybe this would be better in portrait i want to see it in portrait and so i like i always feel like i'm like not getting 
the right thing all the time because there's two possible options and maybe I've picked the worst one. I don't know. So I always feel like there's a better version of it that I'm just not seeing. Have you tried watching it with two phones at one time? <laughs> Double quibbing. I, mean, I could watch it twice, but there's only so many times I need to see, you know, the, the reboot of Punked. So if you haven't two X quibbed, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Dieter, I feel the same way though. Like Dieter, I've, I've gone back and rewatched something twice just out of, because I'm concerned I've missed something or it's better a certain way. And that's just is Watch it in landscape. That's it. Not, no. Here's, the th- here's what I would say. I, if I had to like very narrowly pick two criticisms of Quibi at launch, there are more, but if I did narrowly in, the, in like their strategy, I would say one, they do not have the one thing everybody should watch. Yeah. Right. They, they, they just couldn't pick one. They have a lot of things like just an overwhelming array of things. Uh, I need to disclose uh, Polygon has a show called Speedrun, which uh, if you have Quibi on your phone, you should go watch it. There have been some talks about us doing a show. Maybe it'll work out. I don't know. There's your disclosure. But they have a lot of things. None of them are the thing, the way The Mandalorian was the thing. And I know Katzmerg is like, whatever, it's a big hit show. They got all this IP. You can still just pick one, right? right? When Netflix was going to do original content, they just literally like, House of Cards, it's the thing. Everybody go watch the show. They don't have that. So that's like, I, I would issue that criticism of their launch strategy. The second one is they spent all of this time talking about their technology and what they could do in storytelling on a phone. And literally none of the launch things take advantage of that stuff. Like zero percent of them, as far as I can tell. Like, yes, you can turn it, you can watch it, into, but I watch everything in landscape because it is obviously that is the primary edit of the thing. You think so? In every single thing that I've watched so far, it's obvious that the landscape edit is the first edit, and the portrait is like it's along for the ride. It's not you're looking at what Julia. It's like a horror movie, right? Where you like <clears throat> in landscape, you're watching the the character, and in portrait, you're like watching your screen or something. Yeah, they like change the way it, you, but you're still viewing the same type of content. It's just a different POV. Yeah, exciting. Like, that was like the big promise, right? Of like, you you could watch the murderer, or you could watch the 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 person who's going to get murdered. Quibi, by the way, also obsessed with death. Yeah, so. <laughs> so much. I keep asking them about this, and they keep telling me I'm I'm obsessed with their like my own obsession with their obsession with death. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, well, well, so we'll get to that in a second. But the, the promise was you could you in portrait you'd watch the murderer, and in landscape you would watch the murdery. That's a that's a word. And none of their shows right now do that thing. So like, if you add those together, they should have had the one big show that fully took advantage of the technology, right? The Steven Spielberg show that only plays after midnight, wherever you are. That was the promise. They don't have that yet. And I think that's like, they seem to be doing fine, Julia, right? They, didn't they have like a bunch of downloads? Yeah. So the third party app, so Quibi hasn't announced anything officially. When like Disney Plus launched, they came out 24 hours later and said, we hit 10 million, because that's a great number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quibi did not hit 10 million. They didn't even hit 1 million. So they came, so third party apps came out, like App Annie uh, and Sensor Tower, and they said, estimating about 300,000, which is not terrible for an app that one is supposed to be used on the go and no one can go anywhere. Uh, two, that do- <laughs> that doesn't have a strong presence outside of, I would say, like either very young circles because their advertisements are like super tied into TikTok and Instagram um, or, or, or your media, which like was where the Quibi story, I think, really, truly lies for a lot of um, people that I know. Um, so 300,000 is not terrible for what Quibi 
uh, for what I th- what I think Quibi was gonna hit. I mean, it's also not a million, and I don't know what internally they wanted to hit day one. Uh, but as you said, there's nothing in there that's really the funny thing about Katzenberg that I think about a lot is that he always says content is uh, a kingmaker, but platform is king. And it's like, but you didn't get the content right, and you also didn't get the actual usage of the phone right. So nothing that you have is king or kingmaker. So I don't know what the business plan is at this point <laughs> to get to those points. In Liz's profile, Whitman, uh, the, again, just go read it because it's good. But like, imagine you're the CEO of a new platform. I'm sure many Vergecast listeners could imagine themselves as such a thing. I would say pull over in your car, but like you're at home. So like, just go. I don't know, stand in the stand in the bathroom or something. Um, but like, imagine you're the CEO of a platform, and you're like, I got to launch this platform, and all of your plans, your entire team, your whole company is like, we're gonna launch with a big fancy party full of celebrities, and then a blitz of ads, expensive ads during March Madness and the Master, and all this stuff, and all of it is gone. And uh, Whitman's was Whitman's quote to Liz was like we're taking those budgets and we're putting them on like Twitch and YouTube. And that's why you just see like, if you're like the number of Quibi ads on Instagram are like out of control. Right. And it's like, yep, because they took their like broadcast sports ad budget and just fire hosed it at social platforms, which is wild. Like I I don't think it's ever been done before that level of move. And like, maybe it worked to get to the 300,000. I think the big question is, can it, will it sustain at that level or is it going to drop? Because it usually drops. And what's it going to plateau at? And is that going to be enough to sustain them? I mean, that's absolutely the biggest question. And unless they have a show that's going to bring people in, one, that they think, unless they have a Game of Thrones or a Mandalorian that people are like, okay, I'm going to sign up for and I'll watch this uh, weekend or week out or whatever. People aren't just, aren't going to come to it, and especially after ninety days, they're not going to si- they're not going to pay five dollars for something uh, for content that they can get elsewhere. Really, in terms of quality, but the other thing that Quibi really missed out on is that Quibi thinks that it's the reason people will sign up for it are the kind of top high production movies and chapters, big big uh, actors and and TV shows, and that's not people are going to sign up to watch um, food explode in people's faces or watch Idrisella <laughs> take on stunt drivers. Like it's the really funny mid tier reality shows that Quibi like the basically the 30 rock fake shows that Quibi has actually produced those are <laughs> those are like the shows that Quibi will find its audience with and the, the there's no way to share any of that there's absolutely no way to talk about Quibi and the ridiculousness of it in like a screenshot or anything because Quibi has disabled any form of sharing which is absurd yeah, actually, could you could you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah, like because because with, with Netflix, like like people, I, I watch on TV, but everybody else seems to watch on their laptop because they're able to put out screenshots like really fast with like captions on the bottom. And I can, I'm always like, how do they do that? Oh, because they're not watching on TV. Uh, but you can't watch Quibi on TV at all. You just watch it on your phone. So what's the problem? The greatest um, series of uh, so I have like a Slack group and it's people who review stuff. It's a bunch of critics. Uh, so there are a lot of people who are doing Quibi and the. The number one conversation in the Slack was how to get it to like airplay on your TV. Like every single person was trying to find a way to figure out a way to do it. And then I thought, oh, that's what critics do. And then when I was on Twitter, just looking at, I have a bar open for Quibi conversation on TweetDeck. Um, it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was just like 
Ariana Grande stands being like, I want to watch this on my TV. Is there any way to Chromecast it? And I was like, oh, that's a surprising thing. Um, but yeah, so I know like when I watch Netflix, my thought process is like, I'm watching this and also I want to get some cool social media points. So I'm going to wait for a good screenshot opportunity and then I'm going to screenshot something and tweet it out. And that's how Tiger King became what it was. Like, Tiger King was just people screenshotting and being like, LOL, quarantine mood. Uh, and that becoming, like, a viral thing. Same thing with Mandalorian. Like, people screenshotted and tweeted about Baby Yoda, like, two million times or something in, like, two weeks. Um, it became a viral sensation. And with Quibi, because it's disabled on mobile, which is true for a lot of other streamers, like, you also can't screenshot on mobile, without the desktop component, there's absolutely no way to share any aspect of the shows. You're reliant on Quibi's own social media presence or the Instagram accounts of people in Quibi shows. Like, if they upload something, I've seen a lot of people screen record and then tweet those out. Uh, and it's like, that is counterintuitive to what your whole thing is. If you're designing for mobile and what people do on mobile outside of viewing content is, like, sharing with people and you can't share, that's the most unfriendly mobile experience I can think of. Yeah, you know, it's it's wild to me that Netflix seems like fairly enlightened about this, right? Like they know that screenshots are like your story has a chart of Tiger King views over time and it just explodes, right? Like that's the day it went viral and that there it is. Like it seems like Netflix, you would not expect Disney to know it, but it seems like Disney knows it too, that like we need people to, to take this stuff, remix it and share it in the ways that they want. That's going to drive a bunch of awareness and be the the sort of like user marketing campaign that that makes everything successful now, right? You need to feed the fandom, basically. Quibi is like it's weird that they don't know that. It's also weird that they didn't. There's like a million product things you could do to even just make that easier for people, or like precede them with clips or screenshots. And they they don't seem to know that they need to do that work either, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it was funny. One of the main questions I had before going in was just talking to people, people at Quibi, and I said, can you screen record? And they were like, no, we're disabling it. Like, why is that even a question? And I was like, well, because people watch content to share content. They don't just watch it to watch it. It's become an interactive experience. Like, if I'm, I want to get something out of this, and for me, that's like social clout points for making a really good meme. Uh, on top of entertainment. <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about screenshots. And this is something that people have been asking for for years. Like, Netflix years ago was like, we know people are making GIFs out of our shows. We know that they're screenshotting and turning them into memes. And by 2018, Ted Sarandos, who's their chief uh, content officer, was like, our whole goal is to just meme our shows and movies before they come out. And that way, people are have bought into the meme, and they're going to come check it out because it's a meme. So they did that with everything. And his argument was, which I think is the issue with Quibi's thinking, his argument was, we don't have Disney IP, we don't have Warner IP, and we don't have NBC, uh, NBC IP. So we don't have anything that people automatically recognize and are, and are just going to come watch. So we have to create a brand out of thin air. And the only way to do that is social media viral hype. And what Katzenberg seems to think is that if the content is good, people will show up. But the landscape is so oversaturated, everything good is being uh, squished or squashed underneath things that are just viral. Like, you can't, it can't just be good. You have to be shareable. That's, that's the whole way to get people to watch your thing in 2020. What about Prince of Egypt 2? <laughs> what? what? What about Prince of Egypt? <laughs> just throwing out ideas. Are you just like pitching Jeffrey Katzenberg right now? Like in the, in the off chance he's listening? Prince of Egypt was DreamWorks' big breakout, right? I mean, well, yeah, and then Shrek. It was a DreamWorks movie. That's true. Oh, Shrek was DreamWorks too. <laughs> Who owns Shrek right now? 
I think it's still DreamWorks. So that would go... Hope it's Comcast so bad. I actually do think it's Comcast. <laughs> I think oh it's God. NBC Universal. <laughs> Julia is correct. DreamWorks is out. Shrek is owned by NBC Universal. <laughs> do the disclosure. It's do disclosure. it. <laughs> I've arrived at this place. <laughs> I, I must disclose that the Versus parent company, Vox Media, NBC uh, Universal is a minority investor. So there it is. Because we talked about Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. It's always the nightmare. <laughs> so at the same time this is happening, Julia, uh Disney Plus hit a big milestone, yeah? Yeah, Disney Plus announced yes Disney Plus announced Disney <laughs> announced yesterday that uh Disney Plus hit surpassed fifty million paid subscribers with like a big asterisk on it. So like eight million of those subscribers rolled in from Hotstar in India. A few other subscribers, a few other million subscribers, for some reason, there was like an issue with them, the way that they were counting, because they were like on the precipice of just signing up. So there's like a weird way that they counted it. Uh, but yeah, the point being that Disney is telling investors that it's Disney Plus streaming service is continuing to grow. A, a few important parts of that number. One, when t- Disney first announced Disney Plus, they thought by 2024, they would hit 60 million subscribers. Uh, it is now six months since Disney Plus launched, and they've hit 50 million subscribers. Okay. So they are on. They're they're doing way better than what they thought they were going to do. However, the common rule of business is you don't announce a number unless you're pretty sure you're going to hit it, or at least be around the same point that where you are, in, like a year from now. So I think they lowballed that anyways. But it's impressive. 50 million in six months, uh, in about 10 countries, I think, approximately, is an is an impressive number. I mean, hitting 50 million in six months, it, it sounds like they should put the guy in charge of of, uh, of Disney Plus in charge of the whole company. Just make him the CEO. Oh, my God. Rough. <laughs> uh, Julia, put that number in context. Uh, how big is Netflix? Yeah, so Netflix is 167 million subscribers worldwide. For now, it's probably gone past that because it's... Uh, we're in a global lockdown uh, and people are watching a lot of Netflix. Those numbers were released the last quarter um, and Netflix is about to roll into its earnings season, being very, very pleased uh, with what's going on. And I'm sure they have more. But the other thing, which is what ties into a Disney, is that Disney, when Disney Plus came out, both Kevin Mayer, who runs Disney's direct, uh, streaming group and former CEO Bob Iger said they're not really going to announce numbers outside of earnings calls because otherwise it detracts from the, the, the otherwise that's all people focus on. The reason that they announced it now is not just because it's 50 million, it's because every other part of Disney's company has taken a massive hit and they're trying to get, they're trying to make investors feel okay as they head into their own earnings season, which is going to be uh, terrible. Like their forward looking statement is going to be like every part of our company with the exception of streaming has hit a monumental loss. Right. Because they operate theme parks and cruise ships and hit in a sports network and uh, film productions, all which are on pause as well. Yeah, everything is on pause. Um, so you're seeing Disney make these kind of Hail Mary plays to get investors to feel okay. They're like releasing random shorts um, to kind of be like, we still have content that people like. Bob Iger is doing interviews with Barron's. Uh, and not not their CEO, notably. Uh, he's going out and being like, no, things are fine. We know things are going to be okay. And they're talking about reopening the parks as soon as possible and taking temperature checks. But the point being is they're saying, listen, our streaming is doing fine. It's growing. We're really happy with it. Um, and I think you're going to see them move a few more movies over to Disney Plus to keep people there, to keep people signing up, keep people subscribed. I mean, that's the big question. I mean, it's a question for Quibi. It's the ongoing question for Disney Plus is what's going to make you come back and open this app, right? 
with Netflix, it's like, okay, Tiger King definitely made me open the app. Like I, I just saw enough pictures of Joe exotic to be like, I need, I just need to know what's going on here. Right. Disney after the Mandalorian has not had the big breakout hit. I will say that I open Disney plus every day to watch toy story three with max, but I'm also like, I could just buy this movie and cancel my Disney plus subscription. And it would be, it would, it would be effectively the same experience. There's nothing. I'm never like looking for new stuff in that app. Are they going to ramp that library up soon? The idea was they were going to do that, but then all of their big shows that were going to start hitting in August, August and September, uh, they they got hit with production delays. They got their they don't know what they're doing. Mandalorian season two is supposed to be October, and it looks like they might they'll probably be able to get that done because filming's done. Post production seems like they can do it remotely, um, but like all the Marvel shows were still they were still figuring finishing things up. So we don't know if like Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision, which are their two big ones coming up will hit on time. I mean, that's the thing is like Netflix is at this point where Netflix, because they film all their, they drop full seasons, So everything is filmed by the time that they do trailers and announce things. Netflix has enough content for the next three months, roughly. And then, then they have to start figuring things out. But Netflix is out here dropping new things every single week. And that gives them a huge advantage. Cause while everyone is struggling, like while Quibi is producing their daily shows, but everything else is kind of taking a step back. Disney's in the same boat where they are trying to figure it out, but they don't really have any new content. Netflix is the only provider that has new stuff. That said, there are two major streaming services launching in two months. We've got Peacock, which launches for some Comcast subscribers this week or next week, sorry. Uh, And then we have HBO Max next month. No, man. You're just gonna be on. The, you're just gonna be on the show every week. That's that's what's <laughs> happening here. But HBO Max will do well because it's it's got family programming and it's got HBO, and I think people will want to watch Friends if they're still quarantined, uh, and so they'll just buy HBO Max. Um, <laughs> just give in. <laughs> Netflix brought back Community, which is a, a genius move. It's like, what am I watching the most on Netflix? Is Community right now? Okay, so what's the, that stuff is upcoming? What's the next thing? Well, I mean, just let me just ask you straight out. Quibi's free for 90 days, right? People should just check it out. Yeah, I mean, the the mid-tier shows are, like, not terrible. Like, the reality shows are, they're, they're cute. And if it was free forever, I'd be like, this is an app I could probably use. Like, I've used this, <laughs> I've said this, and Kevin, uh, our features editor, Kevin and I debated about whether or not we should put this in the story. Because I was like, Kevin, Quibi is like a bathroom companion app. Like, it's <laughs> like it's the best bathroom <laughs> oh companion God. app in the world. And Kevin was like... Oh my God! Please stop being you for a minute. Uh, but like, it's a it's a free app that like has cute entertainment for seven minutes. Uh, for now, it's like if you sign up now, you get ninety days free, and that's fun to use. The minute that they want to charge you five dollars with ads or eight dollars without ads, it's like you can just use TikTok, and it's more entertaining, and it's free, and it's like you don't have to pay attention to it. Yeah. Didn't I read that if you if you sign up and accidentally like choose the ad option for your free trial that you're just stuck with ads for the free trial? Yeah, I've seen some people say that. I meant to, uh, yeah, I meant to actually reach out about that because I was like, that seems for a free experience. You don't want to give people ads for a limited time if you're trying to sell them on your app. Um, yeah, I, I saw that too. It's the other thing that was interesting to me is that they um, after all that conversation we had last week about Amazon and Apple and in-app purchases and Apple's like they they're just giving Apple the cut. Like, there's no way to pay for Quibi except in-app purchases. Like, they just do not want you to overthink it. They're like, push this one button. Like, Apple can take the money. We just need a recurring subscription. <laughs> Go. 
Uh, which is certainly interesting. If you if you do sign up with Apple, Apple subscriptions, uh, you can just sign up and then immediately cancel, and then it'll get canceled at the end of the three months, but still work until then. So you don't have to set a calendar reminder to cancel it later. Oh. oh. Yeah, that is actually one of the best parts of Apple subscriptions for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens with Quibi. It, it, at the end of the day, Julia, you think so about Quibi more than almost anyone in the world. So it's like Jeffrey Katzenberg, Matt Wayman, and Julia, like top three Quibi thinkers. Julia, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see you again for Peacock and HBO Max. Okay. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Paul Miller. Hello. Every week in these troubled times, you provide a ray of stability. A ray of stability? A stability mm-hmm. ray. <laughs> 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 Hold it hold it together. What's it called? I do a segment every week, and it's called Pop the Stack. Okay. And that's <laughs> capital P, lowercase o, capital P. And that stands for package on package. Okay. So I got, when I was looking into this Lakefield conspiracy, I got really uh, into reading about Lakefield, and I just missed this news. But Intel announced this in 2019. It's still not out. It's obviously delayed. There was like a leak in March of like a benchmark, which is always like sometimes I feel like these companies do that on purpose as like a little tease, like this is coming soon. But this is a really cool chip because it's got uh, one Ice Lake core. 
like the like the sunny cave, sunny cove core that Ice Lake uses, and then four small uh, Tremont cores, and those are basically like like the atom processor type. And so, like the Athena uh, Chromebooks that just came out are like uh, fifteen watt the ultra portable type of, of processors, but these are like five watt, seven watt chips that are like supposed to be truly competitive with mobile. And, uh, we don't have them, but, uh, oh yeah, the pop, the stack, they, <laughs> this is like, this is a 3d architecture. So the, the cool thing is the, how we're not going to lose in Moore's law is Moore's law is about the number of transistors in an area, right? But doesn't have any rules against stacking. So you stack chips on top of each other, and they've got the substrate. That that's what it's package on package. You've got ten nanometer chip on top of like a twenty-two nanometer substrate. It's so cool, three D chip design, and it's got like RAM built in. It's so exciting, and I just wish we had it. It's coming. Yeah, I promise you. Pop the stack. Stacks are popping. All right, uh, a little bit of gaming stuff, some Google stuff. We got to talk about this uh, PS5 controller. I love it. I love it <laughs> so much. It is prettiest controller. I don't care what anybody says. It's two-tone white and black. There's a little blue highlight lighter on the ring that you barely see around the little touchpad thing. It looks like a stormtrooper. It looks like a... It looks like an Xbox controller. Yeah, well, that's because, like, you actually, like, it turns out that, like, hands have a certain shape, and, like, Sony finally admitted <laughs> it. That's the other reason I love it. This is why I don't like it. It looks like they had a shape, and then they slowly morphed it to be more like hands. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't feel as designed, like, uh, full disclosure, I can't really play games at all on a DualShock. I'm horrible at it. Um, I've like been more of an Xbox person, but I've always admired the design because it's so uh, artificial. And this just, you know, this just looks like a controller that is designed to hold in hand. I think it looks like a, um, I don't remember who on our team said this, but it looks like a BMW i8. Mm. Yep, for sure. I mean, it looks like everything. The just yep. If you just Twitter search for like, PS5 controller, it looks like it's just the number of <laughs> things people, th it looks like Eve from Wally. Mm -hmm. it's great i'm like very it's it's a heim wrote an entire piece about how it's like sony's most exciting design in forever we'll see i'm excited about the, this console generation it feels like they're proceeding in like the right both of them are proceeding in like the right way like they're focused on the right things which is like playing video games and making playing video games fun yeah as opposed to like uh controlling your cable box over ir i love that sony's re refusing to show us what the box looks like like people are real mad. Just show us the box. They're like, no, actually don't. Just like up until literally like people go out and buy it and unbox it. And that's when they get to see what it looks like. Oh, That'd be great. Everyone's, everyone's PS5 looks a little bit different. <laughs> it's just a pile of chips and a pile of shoebox. <laughs> Do you remember that year at CS when Sony announced like their first 4K streaming player? It was like way, way before anything, like anything was available. No. It was like, like five years ago. It was like Sony's very first, they announced their very first 4k TV yeah. and then they announced their like 4k player. The play, it was like a, it was like a subwoofer size type of it thing. It was, no, it was a circle. Like it was like a circle, was a circle. <laughs> you were supposed to put in your house and at CES it didn't work yet. So the circle was just an empty circle with a light in it. <laughs> and the actual 4k player was a tower PC that was like shoved under the booth. <laughs> 
And their whole idea was like you would buy this circle and overnight it would download the movies for you because they were so big. Right. And then you when you bought them, all you were really buying was an unlock. I don't really know where I'm going with this except to say I really hope the PS5 is a circle. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted that dumb circle so bad that it was never real. Uh, on the controller, because this is the most we know about any any PlayStation 5 hardware, uh, USB-C, uh, it's kept the touchpad, which is a bold move. Um, uh, very, I'm very intrigued, but I always hope that developers will do something really cool with novel input schemes and they do it twice ever. And it's fun those times. And the built-in mic is really exciting to me. I think that's going to be really useful for like more casual conversations and stuff. Headphone jack. It's got a headphone jack? There's a headphone jack, which is, you know, if you want, you know, lag-free audio, what do you do? You use a headphone jack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it's got these, like, adaptive triggers. It's got new... They're calling it DualSense because it's redesigned haptics, so it should be real subtle, and it should feel like you're driving through mud when you drive through mud somehow. That, that's exciting. Dieter, you want to yell about the Xbox game bar? I, I actually don't want to yell. I actually want to give Microsoft a little bit of credit for um, building something that maybe potentially could make them relevant in desktop gaming. <laughs> I mean, they make windows. They are super relevant. It's this overlay, and then they've, they've basically like opened up opened it up for other people to integrate into their overlay. So instead of having to like have overlays from other games, there's just like now like a standard bar on Windows that like has the chance to be like the default thing that you use to like have an overlay for like do other stuff outside of the game. Um, that's really smart. It's really overdue, I think. Um, of course, they're going to use it to push like Xbox stuff, and so maybe it will completely mm. fail. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a smart idea and I'm glad they're finally doing it. There's a few, a couple, two ways I can see this going right now. Like if I launch a game on windows, there's like three random overlays, like Nvidia gets at me, steam, uh, discord. They're all happy to be an overlay and they really want to be my overlay. Um, and I hate that if they all used Microsoft's API and then Microsoft, let me manage overlays better. That would be cool. But I just think this is going to be like the fourth overlay <laughs> and they're all pop over at once and it'll be annoying. That's great. And Yahoo's going to have one. Oh yeah. It's going to be amazing. Pixel 4a, Dieter? Uh, so the retail box leaked. Um, and we also, uh, nine to five, uh, Google got like pretty solid specs on it. Looks like there's only going to be one version of it. Uh, the screen is going to be 5.8 inches. There it is. And, you know, specs are going to be the specs. Looks like a, a Snap 730. It'll be, you know, it'll be the same thing as last year, basically. It'll have a headphone jack. The bezels are going to be a little bit smaller this year. But again, like, unless Google does something shockingly good with the Pixel 5, the Pixel 4a is, like, the, the thing to get. And, like, the Pixel 5a is going to be the thing to get. Like, they really need to impress us with the 5 because, like, this 4A looks like it's going to be just as the only difference between it and the 4 that matters to like most people in their day to day experience is whether or not you want face unlock. Can I share some personal news about Pixel? The top glass of the back of the my Pixel 3 is broken and it's really sad. Well, Pixel 4A, all plastic, uh, no wireless charging probably, but it does have a headphone jack. Is it unapologetically plastic? <laughs> <laughs> And then there's just a bunch of Google messaging links here that, quite frankly, oh as I stare at them, I, I just waves of exhaustion are. 
like everybody, Google is putting out a bunch of PR about their video conferencing stuff during the pandemic. And in one of their like notes, they just happened to call it uh, Google Meet. And everyone's like, what the hell is Google Meet? Do you mean Hangouts Meet? And they're like, yeah, wow. that's that's what we meant. Um, so uh, Hangouts Meet, which if you remember is the video version of Hangouts, not Duo, but it's the video conferencing there is now called Google Meet. And we're like, well, what about Hangouts Chat, which is their Slack competitor? That, it turns out, we're going to have a story. It's going to be called Google Chat, which means officially, no way. for the first time in history, there will be a real product called Google Chat. Not Google Talk. Google Talk, by the way, which is what everybody calls Gchat, is still around in the form of Hangouts, which is still around for consumers. Google's last communication about that was that it would be end of life in, 20, in June of 2020. We don't know yet. By the time you read this, we might have an answer. <laughs> if I go oh to if I go to hangouts.google.com, uh-huh. I'm still using Hangouts, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to do something special and intriguing to discover <laughs> Meet. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. The thing about Meet, uh, which is hilarious, I've been on a large Meet call, but it doesn't tile the video by default. It just puts everybody in a stack on the right, and then whoever's talking gets the big window. There are literally Chrome extensions to just solve this problem, like just reorganize this window so it's a it looks like Zoom or whatever. Like the most obvious thing they need to do, they haven't done it. Um, but I, I love I love there's an ecosystem of third party Chrome extensions to do it. Quote. There will be no changes to the consumer parentheses classic on parentheses version of Hangouts. No, no. No. <laughs> but that's the one they need to change. Like, is the I next know. one like parentheses, we know, dot, dot, dot. No, I've been on so many more Hangouts, and it's just, it's so bad. Like, you unplug your headphones, and then it lowers the volume of everything, but you can't raise the volume back. Like, friends who, like, just can't get it to work on their computer, probably because they're trying it in Safari. But I use it in Safari, and it works. It's just, like, it's a nightmare, and it's an important infrastructure. It, <laughs> oh, well. You got to switch them all, man. It's, it's, this is your time to break the network effect. That's right. We're switching to Matrix. Yeah. All right. We've gone a little long. That was good. It was like, uh, see, there's all kinds of stuff going on in this world. Dude, just looking yep. at me. No, I just, I just turned on Gchat again in Gmail for the first time in like a year. And just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just I looking at it just fondly. <laughs> Well, no one's going to talk to Dieter again for some time while he figures out <laughs> Google, his Google set. Hangouts doesn't integrate with Google Calendar. And if I, I get invited to Google can't Calendar, do it. it doesn't no, even show up That was the Vergecast, everybody. <laughs> thanks so much for My listening. thanks to Monica Chen. Uh, Julia, as always, wonderful. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday. I can't say who it is. I still got, I'm, I'm holding out hope for a particular name. I'm excited. Uh, Tuesday, we'll have an interview show. I'm back on Friday. We're not going anywhere, so we're just going to keep making podcasts. Let us know if you like them. (laughs) Uh, Apologies if you heard the thumping of my daughter running above me today. Uh, But it seems to be going well. Uh, Let us know about that calibration between virus coverage and and tech coverage. It's it's on my mind. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Paul's at Future Paul. Dieter is at Backlon. We'll see you soon. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code.